Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Where the River Begins by Patricia Sanjan with permission of Moody Publishing Company. And we are reading Chapter 3, The Farm. The boat had disappeared over the dam, and the little boys and the dogs were racing after it. But the angry men shouted at him very loudly to come back. We'll get it later, he yelled. Take these boys to the house and tell Mom to get them warm and dry. They'll catch their deaths. Run, all of you. Stop that noise, you two, and get going. Run, I said. He sounded so angry that Francis and Rom did not hesitate for a second. Coughing and gulping and breathless, they struggled to their feet and followed their swift, excited little guides. Shoes squeaking, sodded clothes weighing them down, they stumbled across the field, tripping over tufts and slipping in cow patties, and, but never stopping for a moment because the angry man was coming along behind them, and they were more frightened of him than they had been afraid of anything else in their life. And just when they felt they were going to collapse, they made it. They crossed a yard, and the older boy held the door open. A woman stood in the entrance, listening while while both her sons told her all about it at once, as fast as they could. How very, very naughty, said the woman, fairly coolly. And what a mercy you weren't both drowned. Turn the bath on, Martin, and get it in it, get in at once, both of you. Katie, rinse off their clothes and put them through the spinner dryer, and they'll just have to wait till they're dry. I'll find some old things, and they'll just sit by the fire. Now hurry up, you naughty boys. Get along upstairs. About a quarter of an hour later, they were sitting by the kitchen fire, sipping hot mugs of tea. Francis in a robe and pajamas, rather too small for him, and Ram in a similar outfit, much too big for him. The angry man was, was by now snorting and splashing in the bath, and they both hoped that he would stay there for a long, long time. Kate, a girl about fifteen, glanced at them rather scornfully as she spread out her clothes to dry in front of the blaze, and marched away with a backward toss on her long, fair hair. But to Martin and Chris, the farmer's sons, they were heroes, for the fact that they had only just escaped being drowned made them wonderful adventurers. The four boys sat on their heart, heart rug, and Francis described their perilous journey in a whisper with one eye on the kitchen door, in case the angry man appeared. And as he told it, it grew more and more perilous, and his listeners' eyes grew rounder and rounder. He was just beginning to wonder whether he'd dare introduce a crocodile when the woman came in. Now come along, she said. Your clothes are fairly dry now and you must be getting home. What are your names and where do you live and how did you get here? Francis looked at Rom and perhaps these people would call the police, but perhaps they would get the wrong address. But as Rom never thought of it, it was no good. So they both gave the details meekly enough and exclaimed that they had come on bicycles, which were hidden behind a hedge near the main road. The woman glanced out the window, and already the sky was orange behind the bare elm branches. It's about sunset, she remarked. Have you got lights? You're a long way from home. They shook their heads. They had never cycled in the dark before. Well, perhaps your parents had better come and fetch you, suggested the woman. Do you have a phone? Rom, Rom doesn't, said Francis quickly, and my dad goes out Sunday evening, and Mom doesn't leave my little sisters. Perhaps we could walk. So dark, murmured Rom and Francis as they turned to him and saw the fear and misery in his huge black eyes. If the angry man got anywhere near Rom's father, Rom would be punished in true Indian style. He was even more afraid of his father when he was out of the, out, was out, was of the dark. So he added trem- tremblingly, Us walk quick now. 
Just then the door opened and the angry man came into the room, but clad in dry clothes and no longer out of breath, he looked less angry. He listened to the problem and made up his mind at once. I'll run them back in the Landover and pick up their box on the way, he said. I'd like a word with their parents. They should know what their boys are doing. Francis glanced at Rom again. You oughtn't to go to Rom's father, he said loudly and boldly. It wasn't Rom's fault. He didn't want to go. He was afraid of being left behind, and I told him to jump in. The angry man who was really the farmer looked steadily at Francis. His face was grave, but he was not angry any longer. I've guessed as much, he said quite kindly. I'll give him another chance, but you, whatever made you do a fool thing like that? And how do your parents know, and do your parents know where you are? Francis shook his head. Mom's in bed with a headache, he muttered, and Dad went out with my sisters. He's not my dad anyway. He doesn't care what I do. The old chorus was stirring up again, and he nearly said, It isn't fair, but he stopped himself in time. After all, it was no business of theirs. I see, said the farmer quite kindly. Well, someone seems to have been taking care of you both, and you might be laying at the bottom of the river. I'll just lock up, and then we'll go get along. He left the room, and the boys behind him, and the farmer's wife started turning the clothes while Francis leaned his head against an armchair and glanced around the room. He was beginning to feel very warm and drowsy and found himself staring at a large card stuck on the wall. In rugged, uneven letters were printed the words, God is love, L-U-V. That spelled wrong, said Francis suddenly. The farmer's wife smiled. I know, she said. Chris wrote it all by himself when he was four for his father's birthday. It made, made us laugh and we've always kept it. You see, Francis, it's true however you spell it. Loving is God's way, and it's a far better way than running off and taking what doesn't belong to you. Now, these are dry. Get into them. They dressed by the kitchen fire, and the farmer's wife piled on more logs, and the flames leaped up for fresh. Kate was sitting on the table, and there was a delicious smell of bread baking. Francis longed to stay, but there was nothing to stay for. The farmers returned and told them to come, and the wife escorted him to the door. Bye, boy, she said, and don't you ever do a silly thing like that again. Thank God you're both safe. She smiled at their upturned faces and laid her hands on an instant on their hair. A moment later, they were climbing into the Landover, and Francis, looking back through the window, could see Martin and Chris squatting by the fire, laughing, while clear on the wall above them stood out the words that seemed to embody the spirit of the house. God is love. <clears throat> Then the engine started up and the window was hidden behind the barn. They dropped Rom and his bicycle at the end of the street and he scurried home without a backward look while Francis pressed a little closer to the farmer. Somehow he did not want to say goodbye to this big man who had appeared at that moment of terror and saved them, who was not angry any longer and who had understood completely that it was not Rom's fault. The farmer, too, was driving more slowly as though uncertain of what to do. "'That's my house,' said Francis rather sadly." It is, said the farmer, drawing up at the roadside, but he did not move. Why on earth did you do such a silly thing as that, Francis, he said at last. You nearly drowned that poor little Indian. You knew he couldn't swim, and besides, it was stealing. It wasn't your boat. Your parents should know about it, and you may do something about like that again. Or you may do, or you may do something like that again. Francis said nothing. He climbed out of the Land Rover, lifted out his bicycle, and led the farmer in through the back door. The kitchen was in an awful mess. No one had cleared the table or washed the dishes. 
His mother's voice, tearful and angry, calls simply from the top of the stairs. Francis, where have you been? How dare you stay out so late? I shall tell your dad when he comes in, and you deserve all you'll get. He won't come, until, come in until midnight. Not on Saturday he won't, whispered Francis, and she won't tell him nothing, because he's usually drunk. I see, said the farmer, looking around thoughtfully. She squatted down beside the boy and looked deep into his eyes. Promise you won't do, do silly things like that anymore. Promise. And come and see us again. Promise. The huge hand pressed his shoulder, and a moment later the farmer was gone, leaving Francis standing irresolvent in the kitchen, fighting back his tears. It had been a very big, important day for him, and now he felt tired and cold and desolate. He had run away and tasted freedom. He had nearly drowned, and he had also had a glimpse of something that might have been a glimpse of a fire-lit home where someone's, everyone seemed happy and of, ang and of anger that was both just and kind and did not make him feel angry in return. He longed to run to his mother and tell her all about it, and he seemed in luck, for Wendy and Debbie were sitting in front of the television absorbed in a film. He ran upstairs and she had been lying down. The bedclothes were thrown back, but she was sitting on a bed clasping and unclasping her hands. She had been very anxious about him, but now he was safely home, and the sight of him standing there, looking so pleased with himself, merely annoyed her. I don't know how you can be so selfish, Francis, she blurted out, burst it out. You knew how worried I'd be. Don't you care? Where have you been, anyway? Out on my back, Mum. Bike, Mum. I fell into the river, and the river's flooded, and I nearly went over the dam, but a man pulled me out. Mum, I nearly got drowned. Her face went rather pale. You have no business to go anywhere near the river, she snapped at him, and I believe you're making all this up anyway. Your clothes look perfectly dry and clean. It's very naughty indeed of you, Francis. But, Mom, the lady put him in the spin dryer, and we sat by the fire, and I nearly drowned. Honest, Mom. And the man said so. He brought me home in his landover, and a car drew up outside. She leaped to her feet and ran eagerly to the window and peered out. A moment later, she spoke again. I thought it was your dad, she said in a tall, dull, flat voice, but it's for the house next door. She did not come back. She stood staring down the road, still clasping and unclasping her hands. She had forgotten all about Francis and the river. He waited for a moment and then turned away. He went into the living room and gave Wendy a, a big pinch, pinch and clasped his hand over her mouth to shut her up and settled down with her on the sofa to watch the end of the film. And tomorrow is chapter four, the cherry tree again. I love you. I'm praying for you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Actually, we'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye.